Welcome to Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. Today's interview is with Peter Bromka. I first stumbled upon Peter earlier this year after reading his piece titled The Bubble of a Dream, documenting his chase for the 2020 Olympic trials. A lifetime runner, we discussed his early years of running, that chase after a sub-219 marathon, and so much more. Enjoy today's interview with Peter Bromka. Peter Bromka, welcome to Chasing Three Hours. Thanks so much. Yeah, happy to be here. I got a chance to listen to a few of your episodes, and I'm excited to hear more about what you're up to. Oh, man, I, I appreciate you saying that. Well, then, you know, the first question I begin every podcast by asking the guest how their run was today. I, I had 11 miles. It seemed like we had similar ones, at least in distance. How did the run go this morning? Nice. Um, uh, yeah, I'm happy I just came in from one and didn't put it off till later. Um, it was a beautiful morning here in Portland. I was wearing a T-shirt and just enjoying that sort of you get those hints of maybe the fall is coming, which is a totally like fictitious dream. Uh, we still have many weeks of summer. I'm actually headed to the East Coast in a few days. And I think of it like, I know this is many people's just day-to-day life during the summer, but I think of it like a 20-day boot camp that I just have to slog through every day. I'm like, you just get back out there. You face that dew point. You face that humidity. And I... I don't know how you do it if that was just your life. But for me, I'm like, I want to come back in good fitness, feeling uh, prepared for the fall. But um, so it's all to say, I'm very appreciative of the Pacific Northwest weather, the summertime. (laughs) Um, I couldn't be happier. And I find that in the summer, you know, it's not the weather can be hard in the middle of the day. So it actually helps me get up in the morning. Um, It's just so perfect in the morning. So, yeah, it was wonderful. I'm very jealous because uh, we, we, you know, we've had a relatively mild summer in Omaha, Nebraska this year. Um, and this week, Hell Week finally arrived. We're going to have highs above 100. The lows, yeah. I think tomorrow um, is going to be almost 80. And so by the time I finished this Ooh. morning, and I, yeah, I finished, I finished at like nine and it yeah. was already above 80 degrees and the humidity was close to 90%. So yeah. not, not, a fun, not a fun start to the day in terms of temps and humidity. Yeah, yeah, you know, but now we're talking about weather and, you know, we try not, I try not to talk about weather. You just try to make it through, but I know it's a beautiful, beautiful morning. I'm glad that uh, we both got out for a good bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You grew up a runner. You grew up in a runner's family. Um, You write incredibly emotionally about something that that some people love, uh, like ourselves, I think. A lot of people hate it. Uh, Others tolerate it. How would you describe what your relationship was like with running as a kid, given the family that you grew up in? You know, it's fascinating and to me because running, I've often said it's like a fish in water. Like it's just this, I didn't know any different. It's not to say like it's, uh, I mean, choose a different analogy. I'm not saying like, it's like eating ice cream for me. Like it's never not what I want to do and it's always perfect. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's always kind of hard and it's always kind of wonderful. And um, I have a... I have a Nike shirt from like 2012 that says running sucks, which is just, I think one of the most popular shirts they have ever sold because people associate it. uh, uh, They attach and uh, identify with it on both sides. Like if they love running, they're like running sucks and I love it. And if they hate running, I mean, I've I've gone hiking in that shirt and people have been like, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) hi. Nice to see you. Um, I grew up with a dad who ran. And so it's not that we went out running together, but I would see him get up, 
the door every morning and go get some miles. And he was never overbearing with it at all. Um, I was grew up a soccer player. And so, but just running was kind of on the side of things. I was running little kid road races and this is, it was popular back in the eighties. I think it's orders of magnitude more popular now to do all these different events. But for me, it was just something that was there. Uh, and I did little kid cross country and that was hot and hard and like, you know, Oh, but then you get like a little nylon ribbon and you're like, that was sweet. I want to do it again. Um, and so, yeah, I've been trying to write, I'm writing a book about my running life and I'm trying to capture the scenes from my childhood that both speak to how it just became like a bedrock of something I could rely on without being a thing that I became obsessed with um, until many years later. So yeah, I just think of it as something that was always there for me. I definitely associated with being able to run with without maybe associating being a runner, if that makes sense. I think it's a fascinating thing that's it's been given that topic's been given a lot of lip service over the last decade, this idea of like who's a runner, who's not a runner, what's it mean to be a runner? I think that was sort of real to me when it came about because I was like, I thought we all can run. Um and so that's gotten into two there's like many layers to that. Um there's the a lot of people feel judged they feel like they don't belong um and they feel self-conscious i think i actually identify with that deeply because what i've realized the more i thought about it i think we all feel self-conscious as runners because there's always someone faster than us um and so there's always this feeling of like i'm i'm pretty good but i know that guy's better um and i always say like by the time i got better and better run at running in my 30s i was kind of aware of, I have like the names of hundreds or thousands of men who have beaten me over my life. And they're like, just better in my mind than me. So I'm like, people are like, man, you're humble for having run faster times. I'm like, humble, <laughs> humble. If I got a big head, uh, my times, I like, I could start just, I could bore you to death rattling off the names of people who I know are better than me at this sport. I, it doesn't mean I don't, I mean, it makes me love the sport, um, to the nth degree, but it made me realize I've had time over the last year thinking about that identity element of like who really gets to who gets to feel confident saying they're a runner and then reflecting back on all the years of growing up and realizing oh that um self you know doubt and that insecurity leads to a lot of the posturing that you see in young athletes and you know college athletes and just all these these behaviors people have. And then, I mean, I see it from a mile away online and I just kind of love it. I'm like, oh, there's someone trying to prove to themselves that they're a badass runner. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Um, you know, I can't wait to see how this plays out because I'm like, I'm at my level and then I have friends who are better and then I have friends who are better than that. And then I know pros and I'm like, you can find some deep insecurity going all the way up and down this ladder. So I, I feel like it's part and parcel with your runner identity. Um, and then I've also, you know, particularly over the last handful of years come to really appreciate, Oh, like as a straight white male, like running who grew up with running in my life. Yeah. Running feels pretty accessible to me. Um, and it's a big issue that we all should be mindful of, like how to, you know, make it more accessible to more people. I posted on, uh, threads, new social network <laughs> the other day about, um, was it on Monday? I went on a run at a local amazing park and a man got like a little too 
close to me in a creepy way. And then this like said something unclear and it just made my skin crawl. And I was like, Ugh, I hate this feeling. And then I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> I bet this is how a lot of people feel like every day when they go out running, like they get catcalled or they get creeped on. Or, um, and so I was like, you know, it's a good reminder of, uh, how good I have it. And, um, so that's a whole, that was a whole bouquet of answers for you. But I, I just feel like there's many layers to that runner identity. And what I'm realizing is I've got it pretty good and I want to appreciate that. Uh, on the last point, I, I feel like I can count on the, on one hand, the number of times over the last four or five years where I was out and I felt uncomfortable. Sometimes it was because there was a noise and it, it turned out to be an animal. Sometimes it was because maybe someone was walking towards me in a certain way and it was dark in the morning or at night. And I, I, like I said, one hand over the last four or five years, yeah. I, I've thought about that a lot and how when I go out for a run at, at 530 in the morning and it's still dark out for a half hour longer, I'm not really concerned like I know a lot of other people are. And so I definitely I, I, maybe I'm not cognizant of it every run, but I try to be as often as possible just as a reminder that I have it easy in that regard. Exactly. Um, and also as morning runners, uh, I've never been a huge night runner, but things are more chaotic at night. Um, you know, I will run through like the most desolate elements of Portland urban areas. And at 6.15, 5.45, like if, if someone's sleeping on the street, they're just like asleep on the street. Whereas like I know from experience, you know, going through parts of downtown at a time of night where people are inebriated, like you do get people who mess with you more because they're like, who's this guy? What's he doing? Like he's messed or that feeling of like, I think I, I can't begin to explain the um, psychological element of like why someone messes with a runner, but I think often it's just like they can. So maybe they're mm -hmm. bored and here we go. Um, I had an experience. I mean, this was like waiting well beyond my expertise, but um, actually one time in Paris, I was with my wife and we were going on a jog and these boys started running sort of around her. And I was like, what is going on? And then I just realized, and she was sort of like, whatever. And then I was like, this is messed up. And then she was like, just don't acknowledge it. And I'm like, oh, she's so used to this. Like, and she, she would even, you know, it's all on a spectrum of um, being fortunate. She would be like, it's not a big deal. But uh, I was like, wow, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I have no awareness. Uh, so, yeah. Um, you know, these are things we have to think about. And as I've written, I've even written a piece about how much I love running in the early morning in the darkness and how it's like peaceful for me. And I try to lean into that, particularly in the winter when you're like, man, the sun's going to come up in the Pacific Northwest. Sun's going to come up like after I get home. Um, if you're getting out to get in a bunch of miles and there, you know, there were some people, there were some women who commented on my piece, like, it must be nice to just be able to head out into the darkness and not feel particularly at risk. And I was like, well, it is nice, A, and B, I would wish it for you and see hopefully there's ways that that could be, you know, precautions that could make it possible. But yeah, no, it's nice. It's like <laughs> this carefree li runner lifestyle because it speaks to the freedom that we feel to just be out there, uh, I think, experiencing our community and our environment in this like tranquil tranquility. What we aim for it, like throughout whenever we go for a run. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'll go on a, in the middle of the day or occasionally in the afternoon on a route that I often do in the morning. And I'll be like, what is going on? Yes. Yeah, new shadows. These are weird. Yeah. 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 No shadows. I'm like sort of used to spacing out and just sort of like 
crossing this street and suddenly like the trucks buzzing by and you're like, Oh, ooh, whoops. Uh, yeah. So us runners can like check out and be our own hazard, but it's wonderful. You mentioned a few minutes ago, writing a book and, and kind of thinking about your, your life as a runner. Like when you think back now, as you've been doing that and, and probably trying to focus on specific moments growing up, do, do you find something that stands out to you as like a moment where maybe everything clicked of like, Hey, I kind of like this, or, Hey, I, I think that I could run, run in college or, or, or anything in that regard. Or is it just kind of like this slow build? I feel like I've asked this question of like four or five guests and there's never huh. like one moment, but maybe you have a moment. Oh no. I mean, for me, it's like, it it's fibers of a fabric, right? It's um, it's all these elements that lent me a little bit in this direction, a little bit that direction. Um, again, with running being available to me as part of my community, it wasn't like. And then I set my sights on the Olympics. It was like, no, like you can do this. Um, I do have one scene that I'll never forget where I was at a soccer practice, and early high school, it was for a select team that I was on. So it was like winter season. I really thought of myself as a soccer player from first grade through 12th grade. And we, it was like not the top tier select team in the, in the region. It was a low in the city. It was a lower tier team. And I wasn't getting a ton of playing time. Like I'd get on the field occasionally, but I wasn't an integral part of the team. And then the coach, I forget. It was like, okay, now we're going to end practice with like six laps around this big facility. Um, it's actually the park where the Portland Timbers play now. They've, okay. They've spruced it up like tremendously. Um, it used to be called Civic Stadium and it was AstroTurf and there was like, you know, um, it was all, <laughs> it was old school, uh, 90s. And I remember being like, uh, I guess I'm going to go ahead. And I just like, eked ahead of the other guys on the team and then went further ahead and just was flowing. And I was just like, you know, quarter, half the stadium ahead of these guys. And I was like, well, huh. Um, I'm not really get. I'm not in the starting 11 on this, you know, second or third tier select team. And I'm a half a stadium ahead of them on the endurance running. This might be where the future, if I love athletics and I love, you know, team participation, this might be where it lies. And so that was a light bulb moment for me. And, you know, careful what you ask for. It's sort of like, I might be good at running. And then you look at running and you're like, wow, that mountain is really steep. Uh, okay, here we go. And so that's been, it's been this like process of peeling back more and more um, of these experiences and these lessons. And so what I always, the thing that really gets me towards wanting to write longer form is when people are like, well, what are, you know, people often know me if people in since 2020, people mostly know me as the guy who like went for the Olympic trials qualifier, broke 223 times and missed uh, three times at breaking 219 and then came within two seconds of breaking 219. And so they're like, what, what lessons did you learn along the way? Like what hardships are like, you know, when have you failed and overcome? And I'm like, Oh wow, I'm going to have to go further back and give greater context to how many times I failed in high school and college. And like, you know, like I was saying earlier, people are like, Oh wow, you're running fast in the marathon. You seem humble. I'm like humble. What did like, what does that even mean? Why would I have a big head about this game that is clearly bigger than all of us? And uh, has humbled me tremendously many, many times. I feel like, like that's the starting point for me is in deep humbleness because I just got buried early and then got buried again. And so 
I spent a lot of college, I've said this many times, uh, deeply injured, uh, super fired up, like some of the best intense, most fun running years of my life. But also it boils down to, I thought if you loved running, you could just do lean into and do more of it and want it more. And that would lead to better outcomes. And so I was mostly burnt out and injured every season. Um, I like to put it as simple as I thought if I like had a bad day of running that kind of scrapped the week and by whereby a bad week went a bad month went, and then the whole season was kind of like tossed to the side. And that sounds extreme, but you, you know, particularly as a 19, 20 year old, you can get in this mindset of like, Oh no, that week's gone. That week's gone. Like the whole season just feels like it's off the rails. And I, I mean, I wish I could just go like, give myself a hug 20 years ago and be like, slow down, you know, make the most of the time that you have and keep building with what you can build from. And that's what I think a lot of good coaches do. Um, but when I came back to running in my thirties, I, it sounds dramatic. Like I looked in the mirror, but I basically made a promise to myself, like, just don't run injured. If you're hurt, don't keep running. And I had done that so much in my twenties, early twenties that I was so sick of it. Um, I stepped away from competitive running for seven or eight years. Cause I kind of thought I had done it all. And I was, I've described this in some of my writing. I was afraid to keep to want it because I had disappointed it had disappointed me and I disappointed myself so many times that I was like, man, it just sounds so difficult to want that and be disappointed again. Um, and to be hurt and to be like that annoying friend who is in a bad mood because like, I mean, I've done this occasionally with, I've, I met my wife uh, 14 years ago and occasionally I've done pretty good at avoiding uh, injury, but there's the occasional like, beach trip I can recall where like my hips are out of a line and I can't really go for a run and I'm in a pissy mood and she's looking at me like we're on a beach like go lay in the water and I'm like Ugh. I was not able to go for a run this morning and life is horrible and she's like this guy has lost some context <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I try to like maintain uh equal balance on is like don't if you're hurt don't go running and find don't just try to like grind on a uh, peloton and like just give your body this is what i say to myself I, i'm using the third person but like i try to say to myself like get to the bottom of what's going on and don't just keep pushing against that wall thinking like if you push harder it'll solve itself so you fall away from running for a few years what brings you back and what brings you back in particular to the marathon yeah. I mean, it was, I had, it's fun to have different eras of running in your life. I'm curious what this is like for other people, like where the same act of going out, um, to get in a couple miles, like even in the years I wasn't focused on running in the way that we're talking about, I can still remember getting up before dawn. I was living in San Francisco for a couple of years and I would get up and like, just go around the city, you know, just like all these ways of engaging with the movement and the act that were totally removed from like workouts and races, um, still like enjoying the miles. But I mean, I would have some runs in San Francisco. I just want to touch on where like, I'd get, it'd be like a Saturday afternoon and you know, <laughs> that feeling of like sweating out alcohol and you're just like, 
my skin is itchy and I hadn't run in three days and I'm like, this is horrible. And I'd like get home and be like in a bad mood. And my wife would be like, what's your problem? I thought you were going on a run to get in a better mood. And I'd be like, I'm just, I was just angry at myself for like, I wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I knew I should or felt I should. Um, so I got married in 2012. We moved back to Portland in 2013 and yeah, just was sort of slipping into this routine of running slightly more often um, and enjoying that. And there, around that time, there was this rise of the run club, run running crew culture, um, which you see a lot on Instagram. <laughs> it was like sort of in part, like coincided with the rise of Instagram. Like we're not a track club, we're a run club. Uh, we're a run crew. Like we're not about, we're like cooler than that. Like, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of these people. I feel like I can poke fun. It's like, nah, man, uh, we're not nerds. We got long shorts. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was enjoying it. Like, and I posted years ago about how that gave me a new lease on life, like meeting up with other runners. I would, for all these years, I was like meeting up, like we could meet up for a run, you know, get in some miles, but meeting up with a group or a team and, do and often and with the there was a portland was called back in the day it was called stump town because they uh cut down a bunch of trees downtown and there were stumps uh like along the side of the street in the 1800s and so there's um there was a crew founded in 2012 here the stump runners um and they would meet for some casual miles twice a week and i was really enjoying like meeting up with a group of people and by far being the fastest person on the team, but like that, not even being close to anything anyone was worried about. And I was, I just had backed away from like track club culture far enough because I was like, again, afraid to want it, afraid to like, what are we going to meet on a Tuesday and I'm going to run a track workout and I'm going to be disappointed in the splits because I'm not the fitness I used to be. So I just like couldn't get into any of it. Whereas this other group was like, hey, want to go running? And I knew guys who were like, that club is too slow. Like, come on, I can't get my mileage in. I'm like, okay, guess when you can get your mileage in faster? Any other time of the week. Like, <laughs> go do whatever. This is like, they are offering a one hour run on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And it's nice and the people are kind and we just go around. Um, and so I started running with them twice a week. And I was running more frequently in Portland. And then the Boston bombing happened. And it was like just a real shocking moment in a lot of people's lives. I re recently watched the documentary on Netflix that I can't recommend enough because it's a three-part series, three or four, about just the mayhem of those days. And I think what often gets lost, four people died but the hundreds of people who were injured in that day, really like it was very traumatic, very gruesome and visceral, this feeling of like, uh, these people just got cut down. They're runners finishing the Boston Marathon, which is sort of the preeminent stage I consider in the sport. And what am I doing? I'm just like jogging a couple of days a week and I'm able and I'm capable and I'm holding myself. I just had this moment of self-reflection of like, I'm holding myself back because I'm like afraid to even want to try to like, I'm fear of disappointment of what if I want, what if I try for a time and I don't hit it? Like that's just a lame excuse when there's people who clearly want it and now are not capable. So it was a combination of that 
ambiguous feeling of like wasting opportunity. And then also the fact that it became pretty clear. And I, in the documentary, like uh, they show a clip of Barack Obama's speech from a few days later. And you're just like, I mean, at the end of it, you're like, where's a wall? I could run through a wall right now. Um, he just talks about like, it's 2013. The, the community has been inj- harmed, but at 2014, we will come back and we will run stronger and we will run more united than ever before. And I'm like, let me at this race. <laughs> uh, so I had two friends who had run uh, Boston that year and they'd finished well before the bombs went off. And we started messaging like, we should probably be there next year. I think 2014 is going to be one of the most epic days in marathon history and i mean it was a lot of patriotism a lot of like the running cultures combined with um american pride of like we can't just be scared of this so um i went out and got a boston qualifier i was fit enough and i sort of surprised myself um and ran a marathon PR, which I can't ever fully explain how that's possible other than like these things I've talked about. I was pretty, uh, I was in my thirties and pretty self-aware of my body's ability, pretty good at like avoiding overdoing it, more willing to take a day off if I just, regardless of whether it was on my like quote unquote schedule, just to be like, well, doesn't feel on today. Like, but I was motivated enough to like not just be taking days off because I wanted to skip them. So I got a Boston qualifier. And then um, in pre- building up to the Boston 2014, started reaching out to the running community in Portland saying like, hey, do you know other people training for this race? And that started this trend that I've been on for a decade now of getting to know different runners in Portland who run at different paces, who run different parts of the city. And just appreciating them again for like what they're into and what they're about. And um, people have made fun of me before in Portland for like running with every crew in the city. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because like I've been in Portland <laughs> since I was a teenager. Um, I've seen cu- clubs come and go. Um, you know, I often run with certain clubs over others just because like they're closer friends or they more their workouts more aligned with my goals. But like I'm pretty far from thinking like we're better than these people or, you know, I'm like, yeah, you guys are all, we're all getting in miles. Like we can make the most of um, celebrating them together. So I got to know a bunch of runner geeks affectionately um, call them that leading up to 2014. And that started this trend for me of like, wow, this marathon thing can be fun. I mean, I mean, I've often thought like, looked back and given thanks for the fact that I didn't get injured in those, that period, not meaningfully. So I occasionally had like little hiccups, but you know, I, I really feel for friends who like get a stress fracture and are out for six months or a year. Cause that can really derail that joy and the love of it. Um, and so that le- one thing led to the next in terms of like reaching out to more runners, being willing to try take on workouts, um, with some like, with some like a deep breath and like, okay, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to try and we'll see how it goes, you know? And in hindsight, I was like not trying that hard, but turns out that's the best way to train. Um, it's like to, to dip a toe in and then like slowly walk in, not just like hop into the boiling water and then get hurt. Um, so I, I remember I did a long run workout with a bunch of guys and I, 
I knew I felt good. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Like, okay, this, this pace, I think we were running at like 630 pace. And I was like, okay, I feel like, I feel really good. I could do this for a while. Um, and I knew I felt better than the guys next to me. And so that was like, sweet. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that's how every athlete should approach it is like, it's so easy to overdo running. It's just, it's incredibly easy to overdo it. I've had these workouts recently where I train with some guys. I mean, I'll hop in with a crew of guys running like seven, let's call it like seven by mile with 90 seconds rest. And the guy and I'm working and I'm finding my flow and I'm really working hard to find my breath. And I look next to me, the guy next to me is a friend of mine. He broke four in the mile a couple of years ago. And he just looks like he's flowing. He's a chill dude. And I'm like, well, this workout is clearly easier for him. Like he is way faster than me. And I'm like, oh yeah, but he's getting better as well. Like I'm probably working too hard right now. I should probably check my ego and move to a, like a, I can, I can technically be here right now. Like, and I can force it, but like, I would probably, this path towards improvement would be more sustainable if I like checked back a little bit and settled in for a slightly longer haul. So, I, I mean, that's a, that said, at times it's okay to like jump in full bore and like test yourself, but it is helpful. And it has been helpful for me over these, this past decade to remember that like there will be another workout day. And I, I was just like way too into trying to prove my fitness to myself. Um, certainly in college, we would do like all sorts of workouts that were essentially, we were racing the workout to then prove to ourselves how fit we were. Um, you could say we were doing it for each other, but I think really we were doing it for ourselves. We were like, we knew there were faster guys out there in the country. And we were like, man, if I race this workout, then I can go home and have a lot of confidence. And then I can, that'll help me believe in myself for the next race. Well, sure enough, you do that. You show up to the race and you're totally cashed. Um, you got nothing, you got no juice. And you're like, I wonder what happened. What happened there? Uh, so sorry, this is a long circuitous answer just to say that like, I brought those experiences and those failures from earlier in life to bear when I was wading in with different runners in Portland and saying like, it's okay if I just like enjoy these days along the way and build more slowly. And so you start, you start clipping off time, um, over the, over the following years and you get to a point where it seems like a lot of people in your life are like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to go after the, the Olympic trials? <laughs> Um, which, you know, the, ahead of, of 2020. And you've written about it a few times about the early conversations with your wife about the chase where she asks you about it and you're kind of like, oh, no, that's not that's not what I'm doing. I, I wonder if you can take me back to that moment and what the discussions were like with her because one of the, the through lines of this podcast so far has been the importance of partners and mm. how, like, I'll, I'll be married within two weeks of this podcast dropping. And oh, my, wow. soon, yeah, my, my soon-to-be wife has been incredibly supportive over the last few years because when we first started dating, I was probably doing 70 miles a month. And I got to I've now, basically, when I'm in my, my training, I'm running 70-plus miles a week. And so, obviously, that's a lot more time that I am away. And she has to help out you know, or take care of our dog at home. Like, What, what was that, that moment like mm. with her? And I guess, how important has she been as you've been on this journey over the last decade? Yeah. Um, well, good on you for, uh, exposing your true colors before your vows. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's not going to be surprised if I want to up the mileage anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. Um, my wife likes to say like, this isn't the man I married because 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in I didn't know this era of my running was going to occur, but it, I knew this like passion and ability elements of this ability were dormant within me when I was in my twenties and she and I met. Um, how do I answer this question? The, the truth of this question is something I'm actually trying to write more about because I'm trying to contextualize and complexify trying to write a book about the running journey that's not about running exactly um which sounds like a cliche but it's to say the true depth of the human experience is much more than just the mileage and the sensation of training so the backstory i ran um the Boston Marathon in 2016, and I ran 229 and had one of the best days of my entire running life. I finished 32nd at the Boston Marathon and was just out of my mind, like amazing. And gave, like, my wife was at the finish. And then I came, I had a one year old son at the time. And I uh, was like, wow, that was incredible. That was one of the, and I finished very high at the Boston Marathon because no one was there from America because they had just had the trials in LA like two months before. So there's very few Americans. I was 10th American, um, which just sounds incredible. But like you had Chris Gutierrez on it earlier and he ran, um, he ran six minutes faster than I did that day, th this most recent Boston and finished like way lower down, you know, like Boston is becoming more and more popular. More people are coming to it. So at the time it was just like, I, I love this sort of framing of in 2016, I thought I achieved all my dreams by breaking 230 and finishing 10th American. And I, I knew it was because there was this thing that had nothing to do with me called the Olympic trials, this race where the best marathoners in the country see who gets to go to the Rio Olympics. And that, that had happened a few months earlier. And I was just like, cool, but I'm an amateur and I, that has nothing to do with me. Um, fast forward two years and I'm like, I had run 229, 228, two, and then we run 223. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is either over, like the pursuit of times, faster times and running faster. I think the times to me, I like become the placeholder. It's the easier thing to refer to than the experience of trying to be able to do better at the thing that you love. Um, so I always say like, it's a sure it's about the time, but it's really about like, can I maintain this, the sensation of this pace and this effort level for a full marathon? that's forever like intoxicating to me. And so the, that pursuit when we ran 223 and then we're four and a half minutes off the trial standard, it was like, well, you're not going to go and try to run 221 with all your buddies. Like, What's we the just, point? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, come on. Like, and so I've written about this in different ways. I mean, the truth was at the time I had like a little guy at home, and I always say to my friends who are in their twenties and they're training really hard. I'm like, I love it. I love if you love this, I just need you to know, like, you're also, you could be out doing anything you want. Like you don't have a spouse. You don't have a kid. You could like drop everything and hit the road on a Friday and just like show up to work on Monday and be like, I was in a crazy road trip haze. Whereas like, I'm kind of living like a toddler. I'm like going to bed early. <laughs> I'm getting up, I'm running 20 miles. Then I'm taking a nap with my son at this point. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm living a kind of, uh, 
so you know just a ho-hum lifestyle but i was it the running made it kind of exciting and fun because it's um so my spouse it's a long way of saying like julia has been incredibly supportive but i've also like had to really explore um the truth of what the running means to me and then in order to be more honest with her about what it means to me so that she's more aware so i'll give you an example for years we would fight because i'd be like yeah i'll be home at noon because i and i was lying to her because i was lying to myself because i didn't want to admit that i was going to be gone for four hours to run but the truth was like we were driving 30 minutes to get to the a specific spot that had the right terrain for the right training environment and then we were going to run for two and a half hours and like one guy wants to stretch and then you take a pee break and then you're like, da, 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 and got to retie your shoe. So like two and a half hour run leads to three hours. That's a half hour both ways. And then you're home four hours later. But I like every week would barrel into wanting to the, be like, ah, I'll be home in like three hours. Um, and so I would come in the door and she'd be pissed, rightly so. And I'd be like, oh, sorry. No, there was just like, um, it, it got, it ran a little long and we finally kind of it's not even that we had one blowout fight it's like we we fought this fight so many times that i was like okay she's like just tell me when you're gonna be home and i'm like i hate even hearing the words coming out of my mouth i'll be home at 1 p.m as i'm like i mean it was it just it makes it makes me feel gross i'm just like i'm taking so much of the day away and at the same time we had like a two-year-old and life with a two-year-old is like pretty sedentary like you can try to be adventurous but like you gotta be the little guy needs to nap that like twice. And it's just, you kind of know where you're going to be. So it's not particularly helpful to lie to yourself and your spouse about what the day is going to look like. Um, and so it, it was this whole period of, I think meaningfully for me, I've written about, I've written a little bit about this, but I'm trying to write more like, I knew I wanted to be a good partner, which it sounds like I wasn't being, but like you want to be a great husband, which is like awesome. But like being a good husband is a daily practice and it's an ultra, ultra, ultra marathon. Like you can't be like, get up in the morning and be like, I'm going to be an extra, I'm going to be a top notch husband today. Your partner would be like, okay, like try hard, like be kind. And then I'll see you tomorrow and do the same thing. Like show up. Um, and so then, and I also wanted to be a really good dad, but like being a very good dad to a one-year-old, two-year-old really involves just like being there, doing all the small things, being loving, and then doing it again and doing it again. So it's wonderful. And it's also monotonous and boring. Like you can't put in a huge effort on a Saturday of being a dad. Sure. You could like, particularly with a two-year-old, like they'd be happy doing anything. Like you don't need to, you know now that my son is eight, I lean into like, okay, we're going to go to a movie and then we're going to go to Seven Eleven, and then we're going to like, you know, you can kind of build up a bigger day, but it's all to say that I got super passionate about my hobby, which was marathoning at that time, because I was like, I can go ham on a Saturday. Like, and there was nothing more fun to me than like getting up and running 22 with my friends and just crushing myself and then coming home and spending time with my family and being like, wow, this is like a, perfectly balanced life but it requires my wife to see how important it is to me and to you know cover all of the life um responsibilities while i'm gone but then i'm really willing to be here and be very engaged because i'm just like 
overjoyed coming home from a successful long run. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all to say like, it's super fraught. It requires a tremendous amount of communication, much of which I probably fail at like repeatedly. Um, but it's, and it's ongoing. I mean, I think somewhere in there when I had run 228, 220, and then 223, she, at some point I was starting to get curious about the trail scene. And she's like, can you just not get into the ultra running scene? (laughs) And I was like, I respect that. I mean, but but like I wrote a piece this winter called the definition of endurance um, insanity. And it was all about this idea of like, we all think the person who trains more than us, they're the guy who's insane. And like, we're not insane, but like, um, because people wrote me from around the world and be like, you know, I definitely feel this because, you know, I've been running, I don't know, 150 miles a week for three years. And I, uh, but there's these people who are, Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this prison's totally nuts, but they're trying to justify how they're not nuts. Um, <laughs> someone else is nuts. And I'm like, I mean, I get it, but I'm also like, there's the logistics at some point of like, okay, if you're gonna get in the right training, as I think about my goals for the next couple of years, it is a little tough. Cause I'm like, oh, I'd love to get in more trails that logistically would involve longer drives. And then, I mean, I look on Strava and I follow guys that I so admire. And I'm like, this guy drove for an hour. He ran for six hours. He drove home. At that point, you're pretty cracked, right? Like you're just a waste of space. Like you're pretty much just checking out on responsibility to anyone. As long as you have a, you better have a lifestyle that is very accommodating. So I I like to say like, I train super hard and I try to wedge in training in every like cracking corner of my week. That said, I think marathon training can be pretty accommodating to that um it's pretty it's relatively efficient for how hard it is on the body like you can train as hard as you pretty much possibly can and it still doesn't take so much time whereas like my cycling friends man like they were out there forever yeah so it's always like find someone worse than you and point to them and blame it on (laughs) at least i'm not that guy yeah my buddies who golf like and i'm like four and a half hours what the hell Um, so last year I chasing three hours started as a newsletter and I was like, I'm going to document my chase to go sub three. And, uh, it, it, it came faster than I expected it to. And so I got to a point last year where I decided like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for this in Chicago. And I decided that probably at the end of August, Chicago is the beginning of October. And I kind of wrestled a lot over the next month and change of like, am I going to announce this? Am I going Mm. to let people know that I am going to go after this goal? And I ultimately decided I was going to, I think my dad was like super pumped that on the morning of the the marathon, the, the, you know, the, I write this and it, and it ends with, I'm going, you know, whatever I said, I'm going after, you know, sub three and I got it that day. And it was so awesome. But I was also like, thank God, because I announced this publicly. Um, Uh I'm happy that I did because it makes for the fun story in the end. You also announced, a large goal, very, very publicly. Uh, what was it like going after something like that, knowing that, I mean, people were saying, you're an inspiration, I'm, I'm following you. There were probably people rooting against you. What what was that like, especially now with the benefit of hindsight? Um, yeah, it was nuts. I can't believe, well, I think it's like a lot of things where you get started with a small version and you get going. I mean, breaking three, congrats. Like that's not Thanks. to be scoffed at and i'm really glad it worked out because i definitely know people who have been like i'm going for three and i what i worry is like there's benefit and there's curse because what if you run 305 and you're like 
did I have, was I, was I lying to myself? Was that actually possible? Like you can really get wrapped around the axle. I, I look back through my Instagram in the last year and was like, it really was the day before Boston 2016. I had done enough training around uh, 230 pace. And it was that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. Like, we're going to go for it. I had a teammate and friend running um, with me. And I, it's hard for me to remember like what was going on on Instagram in 2016. Like were people doing that? But I was just like tomorrow, like it's the chance to take a chance on a dream and just go for two sub two thirty, And I'm going to head out with that pack because two thirty has a similar, it has like a particular momentum within sort of sub elite men. It's similar to like, there's a lot of people at the three hour mark. And then you get some clustering around, you get clustering around every threshold, but like two forty five. And then there isn't, there's like, there's some, it's all to say, like, there's a lot of momentum. 230 looms in the back of uh, a lot of amateur men's marathon minds where I love it. Cause I'll see it from afar. Now that I recognize it, I'll be like, Hey, what's up, man? Like, what are you thinking for, uh, this marathon? You know, you run in Indianapolis and they're like, ah, <laughs> you know, have some good mileage, had some good long runs. I'm like, what pace? They're like, ah, oh, you know, around. 540, 542. And I'm like, <laughs> that's such a random number. I know what you're, because 230 is 542 pace. And so it's like, and even if they're not close, like fitness wise, it just has like such a gravitational pull. Sorry, this is a long way of saying like, I declared it and then I accomplished it. And in hindsight, I'm like, man, that was a risky thing to do. Because I mean, there's no real risk. There's just only psychological and ego and like, yep. what, you know, so it's only to say like the fact that I did it was a little bit audacious, even though I was fit enough to do it. Boston can go any number of ways on you. And yeah, I, I, at some point you admit it to yourself and then you wanted to, if you're like me, you want to declare it to the world. Cause it feels like, all right, this will make it real. And it'll make me, there's social accountability. I think there's, the thing is, is it helps to talk about these things with nuance. There is, you can have social accountability with one other person. You can have it with a group of people of peers. You can have it with your family who won't be out there and just admit to them. Um, you know, I'm going to go for this. I will say there's been no, any number of times when I've declared something online and then my wife reads it and she's like, what? You didn't tell me. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's like way easier to just sort of like throw it out into the ether than it is to say it. Like, I'd like to talk to you over breakfast about how I'm going to break, try to break two thirty. like, give me a break. Um, so we try on these voices and we try on these, like, you know, like writing a newsletter. That's sweet. I would have loved to have known about it and signed up, but it's like, it can feel like the act of creating that message in isolation and then pressing publish is somehow different than like, I'd like to convene an evening <laughs> of my friends and family. <laughs> so um, it's only to say that, I did it most notably I, to myself, I declared I was going to try to break 230 and then the next day went out and did it in 2016. Um, 2017, I was like, I'm going to try to have a good one tomorrow. And I ran 228, which was more ambiguous because I was like, I don't know what I'm shooting for exactly. And then in 2017, in the fall of 2017, I wrote an essay called Why Faster, which is still one of my favorite essays because I was like, I don't know what I'm shooting for. I think I'm capable of a fast dish time, but like all these numbers are kind of like, whatever, 
Like, I don't know. I mean, I wrote like, will 226 make me like some special person? Like will 225, might I like be like, be able to hold my head higher? Like it just feels a little bit random. And so then we just, I think it's this oscillation between if the numbers don't mean much to you, then you need to, the answer is always that you need to translate back to the rhythm of the, of the running and find, be further in tune with your own ability levels and, um, in order to sustain maximum effort over the full 26.2. And so, yeah, we just like, as a group of friends, we're like, we're just going to hit it hard from the gun and we're going to go after it. And we ran 223 as a crew. And it was just out of our minds. Like it was one of the best days of my life because we were all just like hammering together. And like when I started to fall apart, like my buddy went by me and you're like, the most simple thing in life in running is like, can I stay with that guy? Like, I'm just going to commit to trying to stay with him. Um, and thank goodness for my friend Patrick in that moment for remaining fixated on the finish when I was like, Oh, I'm getting so tired. <laughs> like my legs feel like literal bricks. So it's only to say that, uh, running 223 in 2017 left me like, well, if that's the fastest I ever run, that's pretty sweet. And so I felt free. And then at the same time, these people are like, are you going to go for 219? And I was like, that is so absurd. Let me explain to you how absurd that is. Not only let me explain, let me write a whole essay <laughs> about like why this is not going to happen, but like why the pursuit of it is probably what we have left to go after. Um, and so that was this uh, essay titled burn the boat that I, I honestly posted it online as this, like, again, pr public accountability, sort of just this, it was like an unburdening. It was just like, there's been all this documentation in social science around like when you write things down and you externalize them, then they can be not weighing on you emotionally. And so that's what I got in the rhythm of doing was just being like, once I say it in words, in text, um, then I'm not like, it's not like swirling in my head. And yeah, I thought through like, here are the, I can think of the other guys in Portland who are not like my competitors per se, but like, you know, we're not on the same team and we probably talk shit about each other behind each other's backs a little bit. And I'm like, those guys would be like, oh, shut up. You're not going after the trial standard. Like, give me a break. You haven't broken 223. You're not going to break 219. Um, but I mean, it's sports. So like the idea of me having haters as like a late thirties amateur <laughs> runner was like fired me up. It's like, it's like the thing we've learned about Jordan in the documentary. And I took that personally. Like <laughs> he would just make things up in order to get fired up. And so I made it up that it was, that it was going to be, I knew it'd be hard and I knew I had nothing to lose and I put it out there and it was super helpful at the end of a marathon to be transfixed with, I need to do this because I say I said to the world I would do this, and I find I'm becoming a little bit obsessed with this concept of like the marathon always has two chapters because you can kind of break it down infinitely. You can be like a marathon has 42.2 kilometers, and so each one is its own chapter. That's not as helpful as this idea of like every marathon has two chapters. There's the chapter when you're in control and then there's the chapter when you're out of control and you, you know, you can overdo it. You can get out of control at mile seven and then it's going to be a long day. Um, but I'm, if, if you do it right, you cross over the threshold to out of control and just running your absolute hardest. 
in a manner that's late enough when you can conceptually, physiologically, and psychologically still stay engaged, and you arrive at that moment supercharged with all of your reasoning for staying engaged for the rest of the race and dead set on accomplishing uh, your goals. And actually, I mean, I've had a variety of these races uh, back in 2018, 2019. And I, it's interesting because I've had been having more trouble channeling that psychology recently coming out of the pandemic with lower, I haven't been able to achieve the same levels of fitness. Um, and so it's been harder for me to get into that mindset. But in 2017, 18, 19, I declared it to the world that got the message out. So I would arrive at those final miles. And I'd be like, I cannot back down now. I'd see guys dropping out. And I'd be like, nope. Like if I drop out, it's going to be so incredibly embarrassing because I've said to people, I've essentially said like, Hey, I'm running a marathon Sunday. Look it up. Like hold me accountable. See what I'm capable of. I, this is what I'm going for. So if the answer is I dropped out and I, and nothing was physically like, you know, I wasn't in, injured. That'd be so embarrassing. Um, there's a, have I ever talked about this in 2018, I was on sub 220 pace and I came up on some guy. I was like mile 18, mile 19. Like I've been blown off the back of the pack of these guys I'm running with. So I'm so I'm solo and I'm just like hammering as hard as I can. And some guy to the left of me is like, what's up, Bronca? Like proving all the let's run haters wrong. And I'm like, I, I to this day from the rest of my life, I'll probably never know who that was. Cause I'm like, what I like, it didn't have the bandwidth to be like, who, what you are capable. You're a guy who's capable. You went out ahead of me. So you're like still on pace to break 220. And then I'm coming up on you and you're citing that I have let's run haters, which I don't even think I have let's run haters. Like, what are you talking about? It was the most ridiculous statement, but it, I somehow remember it. Um, because like, Except for that, let's run is like their message board is a burning pit of hellfire. Like, there's no reason that like I should have like anyone should give a crap about me on there. Um, but it's just to say, like, I was so dead set on it, and so I in these past couple of races where I haven't had that um, has given me a lot of time to reflect on. Wait a second, where am I now? And why don't I have that? You know, for instance, I listened to your interview with Chris Gutierrez and that kid is on a heater. Like he's on the, he's on the upswing. I love to see it. And he and I got to link up at Boston for a couple miles and I was able to give him some um, peace of mind early because it was very much within that first chapter of the race where he needed to be under control. And I wasn't there to like help him. We were there to help each other, but I could tell him and the other guys around him were like, dead set on accomplishing their goals that day and for better and worse um i had this realization in boston this year i was like i'm not insecure in the way that i used to be i don't have i'm like damn it i don't have as much to prove to myself as i used to i remember being on those same streets being like ah today the next 90 minutes i can prove to myself i am capable of being the runner that I dream I am. And I got there this year and was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it'd be fun to run nice, run well today. I'm like, that is just not the same. Like that is just a cheap knockoff of motivation compared to when you're, I mean, guys would pass me. They're like, 
like, get on my hip. We're going to catch that pack. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not saying I can never get back there, but I can't get there through the same motivational route that I did uh, five years ago, six years ago. Um, in 2016, 2017, 2019, I was in the best shape of my life. And I was just like, I can't waste a single quarter mile of this race. I am capable of, because I had both like the internal motivation and I had the social accountability of my teammates being like, you have to maximize each mile and make the most of the race today. And so I got out there this year and I didn't have any teammates with me. And I, I had, I had to run 223 in 2019 at Boston and was just like, wah, like just balling out, like making the most of every mile. And so to get out there this year and be like, this is kind of hard. Um, I hope I can hang into this pace. It's just like, a, you can say all the right things, but if you're not dead set on it, like when it gets really hard and then it gets really, really hard, it's like, well, why are you doing this? Like, why are you gonna, willing to hold the dial that uh, far up? And like, it's like, when you're used to holding it 11 and just cranking, like, and you come back to it, you're like, nine is pretty loud. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, these are the things I'm thinking about is I try to like, it gives me appreciation for those years. And it makes me realize like, if I'm going to get back there, uh, I'm going to need to arrive at it through a different motivational route. I, I was rereading The Bubble of a Dream, uh, which I'll include in the show notes if, if anyone hasn't read it and, and would like to check it out. I highly recommend it. And one of the things that jumped out to me was when you wrote, somehow to my surprise, the act of not qualifying appeared to be more inspiring than if I was two seconds better. I, I don't know if you're like a college football fan, but uh, Tom Osborne, who was a longtime coach of Nebraska in the 70s into, the, into 1997, he went for two against Miami in the 1984 Orange Bowl. Nebraska... They, they kicked the extra point. They tied the game. They're probably going to win the national championship. He decides to go for two with under a minute to go. They don't get it. They don't get it. They lose the game. And yet I have always looked back at that moment and said that helped his legacy, that he went for it and lost valiantly. And so re mm. reading that, it, it reminded me of, of Tom Osborne. And, and I guess I, huh. I don't really know if there's a question in there, but it's more just it is interesting how people will do go for something and quote unquote fail and how mm -hmm. other some and I mean I, I know growing up in Nebraska I always felt that way I'm happy that he went for it and lost versus going for the tie and and backdooring his way into a national championship. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean I think we don't we don't always know what we're capable of, and we don't. It's easy for us to like try to project onto others what they're capable of. If I had, um, I have come to realize that if I had scooted in to the finish at 218.57, people would have just sort of assumed like, okay, Peter was super fit. He was super good at, he did a great job executing and he, he accomplished his task and they would have celebrated it, but they would have othered me in this way of like, oh yeah, you were capable of that. It's sort of like, um, yeah, in a football game, I always find it fascinating when I'm really invested in a team like I've done this for, let's say like Portland trailblazers, timbers occasionally for like football teams where you're like, okay, how are they going to win? How are they going to win? And you watch the whole game and the game happens really, it goes by really quickly because particularly if you're losing, you're like, okay, we're down by nine. Okay. How can, what order, what sequence of events could occur that could get us 10 points. And then all of a sudden like the game's over and you're like, oh, I guess we just, we're going to lose. Like, 
I was watching us lose and that it just wasn't going to occur, but you're constantly trying to figure out like, okay, how's this going to work? How's this? Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. We're out of, we're running out of time. Um, and if you win, you seem like, oh, they probably, you're, you're like, they kind of had it, they had it figured out and like, yeah, they just needed a little bit more motivation. And when the game got close, they, they had to just like lock down their performance and ta-da, like they came out ahead. And so you're just like, you ascribe like for the guys who qualified, you're like, oh, they had it under control. And then they like looked at the clock and then they got it done. And I guess they were just capable of it. And so the weirdest thing for me was I had uh, Matt Chittam, who's the rambling runner. He's a um, podcaster. He and I did an interview a few days after that CIM performance. And he's like, we were talking about how I really admired the guys who had beaten me by like 10 seconds. And I was like, man, they just executed such beautiful races. And he's like, spoiler <laughs> alert, you guys ran the same pace. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. Whoa, weird. Um, because I knew I hadn't, I did not get it done. Like I had chosen and at some point in the marathon, again, in these chapters, like you stop making choices. You can just run, all you can do is run as hard as you can run. Um, which is like kind of contextually why pro pro marathoning blows my mind. Cause you see these guys like kind of making choices in the final miles. And you're like, I don't know if I, if I can really understand what they're doing. Like, it's beyond my, um, cause I know at the, at that point in the marathon, I'm just running as hard as I possibly can and searching for every, like, it's like searching through the junk drawer for like any like last bit of motivation. Like what could I come up with to like trick myself into staying fully engaged these final quarter miles and not allowing my mind to spiral elsewhere. Um, so yeah, when I, when I ran as fast as I did, but missed by two seconds, people were like, Oh, I guess he's like really quite, he's gotten to himself to in a position to be quite capable, but like was missing some element, which proves like, Oh, like, wow, there are a lot of pieces to the successful castle he's built, but he was missing one or two right at the very top. And I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Like, (laughs) I mean, I think the following sentences of that are like by missing it proved to others what had become like abundantly clear to me, which was, this was going to be, so far out of my control. And that's the thing that I am like most um, appreciative uh, in years in hindsight was that I had grown very, uh, I'd gotten like fitter than I'd ever been, but I'd also psychologically gotten like very accustomed to racing in a way that was like super chaotic. It was just like being mentally bombarded with chaos and being like, okay, I'm, for those who can't see the video, I'm like gesturing at my face. It'd be like someone like threatening to punch you and just coming up slightly short. And you're just like, cool. I'm like calm under pressure and I'm motivated, inspired and willing to continue to try even as it becomes harder and harder and harder. And so I see people, I see peers of mine, like running marathons and finishing like very much in control. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Like a well done. And B I know they're capable of more because I was able to get out of myself, uh, get into a zone where I was able to execute right at the, like at the threshold of my ability when it was honestly like difficult from mile nine, you know, you'd just be like, this is not comfortable. Um, and it's 
very hard to do in hindsight. Like I've had trouble recreating it. And so it's given me appreciation for what it was, but also awareness that it's not easy to do. And um, I think there's also when you tell stories like this, like I do, like you've started doing, you get your story out to people of varying levels of awareness of running. And so um, what was beautiful for me was like putting it out there so far and so exposed that people in my life who don't really understand running were like, whoa, I think I'm beginning to, you're helping peel back some of the layers of what you're going through. And, um, and it made a lot of meaning for people in my life that don't know much about running, but you know, they're into other things and they essentially it all boils down to effort and your willingness to continue to try even in the face of difficulty and failure. And, I was like, yeah, uh-huh, because that's what I practice on like seven days a week. And for other people, they were like, whoa, okay. I guess you're not just like capable of doing this and um, so used to it that it gets easy. I'm like, no, if anything, it gets harder, but I get more accustomed to it. Um, and that the missing by two seconds both uh, inspired a bunch of people in my life and proved to them uh, – really drove home to them how hard and wonderful it was. And then also I, I wrote about it in that essay. People reached out to me from around the world being like, thank you for being so honest about how hard this was because I don't think I could have handled the disappointment that you clearly would be going through. And so it gives, it meant a lot to me that people reached out and said, this type of the type of disappointment you're going through would shatter me, but you don't seem shattered. And so then maybe that makes, gives me a little reassurance that like, I also wouldn't be shattered if I, I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily need to be shattered if I went for something and I failed, which I mean, you know, again, you'd only have to rewind a few years in my life where I didn't even want to try I didn't want to even do track workouts because I thought I'd be so disappointed in the splits. So talk about not being willing to try. And so yeah, you like surround yourself with a community of people willing to go after stuff. Um, and it gets easier and it, get, it gets easier to try, even if like the effort level gets harder and harder. You just always, I'm always like, what if, what if it just like, could be a little easier? <laughs> what if like the workout could like feel like I could just hum along at that pace and it would like, um, sure, it would get easier and sure it sort of does, but then you just increase your expectations. You mentioned uh, your friends in your life and and some who get running and some who don't. I One of my favorite compliments that I've gotten about the podcast so far in the early days was one of my best friends. He despises running. He doesn't understand it. And he listened to the second episode and he was like, okay, I still don't get it. He's like, but I understand your passion for it. And I thought that mm. that was a very cool compliment to get from someone who you know, we'll, we'll never go out for a, for a run like that. And so I, 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 it's so funny that you mentioned too people that are like, I would be shattered when I read it for the first time. That was my thought. Like, how is this guy just not miserable? <laughs> if I missed yeah. out on my goal by two seconds, you know, it, it'd be haunting me. And I mean, maybe, maybe you have those moments where you feel like it does, but you, you put such great perspective into it, when, whether it's just talking about it today or or in writing about it, that, that that was one of my first takeaways and it continues to be my takeaways. I've you know listened to interviews that you have done after that race. Huh. Um, I mean, absolute, 
absolutely. But like, yeah. And I'm still trying to unpack all the elements of it. I don't think I had a friend say to me recently, like, sure, Peter, you feel you have been able to navigate quote unquote failure, but it's a lot easier to fail to stomach failure when you run like a lifetime best, you know? So you're like, and I have reflected on, I arrived at the trials in Atlanta, a race I hadn't qualified for feeling so at peace with my own ability because everyone around me knew like, again, it's like, it sounds, I, I get self-conscious even saying it out loud. Cause I'm like, who the fuck cares about these times? And like, no one's like judging each, like that guy's a loser. Like, <laughs> he ran 2902. You know, he ran 2902. Or like, it's not like two people who've run, but there is this feeling like, you know, the people who run up 214 aren't particularly concerned with, uh, you know, uh, the people, but like, that's the nature of the game is like the people who run 214 are ungodly fast and they don't matter because they are like superfluous to the 211 guys. So, um, I think anytime ego gets involved, ego is always involved. And yet at the same time, it's kind of like ridiculous and you need to check it. So the idea, it was easier to stomach to 1902 because I had just run the best race of my life. And I felt this, this sense of peace around, like, I, I mean, I've joked on other podcasts, like that thing, people would be like, you know, I do this sport to see how good I am. But unstated in there is always like, but I think I could be a little better. I think I'm so like when you run 219 three times, it's like maybe you found out. <laughs> Congrats. There's your answer. And it's like it's it's only shattering under the assumption of like you probably could have run faster or like I'm, you know. Um, and I did. I arrived at the place of like cold a calculation says to me, I could have broken 219. It would have taken like a perfect weather day. Um, it would have taken every single thing. So you start to be like, as runners, we always think like, I just want to see how good I can be assuming that, um, the unstated truth is you always think you go a little faster. And so it's like, well, wait a second. I thought we were trying to see what we were capable of. Um, and so, yeah, it was easier for me to, um, stomach, the 219.02 was like really hard. It felt like a bad dream where you're just like, wait a second. What if I just snap out of it and like go, can I fix it like a little bit? Like, can I just, can I like, can I get one? And so then as I write about in the story, I go to Houston six weeks later and um, I run my face off and I haven't really written about that race. I'm aiming to try to do it better because it was one of the most intense experiences of my life in terms of I knew I was capable and I still I felt the ability within me. And um, I I ran I sort of fast forward over this in the essay, but like there was about a 45 minute span where I know I'm totally screwed and I'm probably going to fail. Um, but I'm on the back of the OTQ uh, chase pack and every stride, every two or three strides for about an hour felt like, you know, when if you're, you're, I don't like wrestle a lot with friends growing up, but like that feeling like you punch a friend and then they're like clearly going to punch you back and they're like holding their fist and they're like, uh, uh, and you kind of know they're going to punch you because you punch them and you deserve it. And so you're going to get punched. And at some point you're just like, just punch me. Like, <laughs> just like lay into me because this the anxiety and the anticipation of getting punched is worse. So for 
a full hour, like every three strides, I was like, I'm going to fall off the pack. And then I was like, oh, I can probably stay on the pack for like three more strides. And I was just like inside, like screaming at myself, like, I just want to fail right now. I want it to fall apart right now because I can't handle the anticipation of like, it's going to fall apart. I know it's going to fall apart, but I, I can make it three more strides. I can make it two more strides. I can make it three more strides. And it was so monotonous and so infuriating. Um, but it was insanely intense and I just stuck to this group of guys and I was like, as much as I hated to admit it, I didn't need to fail right then. Like I could, if I kept trying, like stay, they weren't actually thankfully like moving because you can get very scientific. Like they were not moving at a rate that was that too far beyond my, uh, lactate threshold. And I could, if I could stay mentally focused and not lose it, I could stay, um, in it and I could keep executing. Um, sure enough, at the very end, we turned and we went into a headwind slightly and the guys who were more capable than me, like broke away. And then I was alone and I just like ran as fast as I could, but it was this intense period of like sticking with it, even though I didn't really believe it was all going to work out all the way to the end of the race. Um, and so, yeah, like that idea of translating it for others is totally insane. Cause we're like drilling down deeper and deeper and deeper into like the nuances that are well beyond, um, you know, what most runners experience and most people who don't even run. Um, it's just like, you know, having an encyclopedia of experiences and someone's like, where should I start? And you're like, Oh man, uh, how do I even translate this thing? So that's, that's what I've tried to do is translate like the beauty that came from all of that. But I will say like the day wake I wrote on Instagram and in the essay, like waking up the day after Houston felt like someone had ripped an organ out of my body. Cause I had spent two years being like, okay, I just opened my eyes. What does the day hold? When am I going to get my miles in? And I had this like draw towards this goal and it provided so much fun and so much meaning. And so to wake up the next day, I remember I was in a hotel. I had flown to New York for work right out of Houston. And I remember the, how the seal, I can like describe the ceiling of the hotel room because I was like, whoa, I don't have to go running today. And no one, I don't need to go running and no one expects me to go running like indefinitely for the future. Like, oh, this feels horrible. Um, and yeah, so that was its own experience of coming off the back of that thing that I had, I had built it. I had built those expectations for myself and from others and it had provided a tremendous amount of meaning. Um, but it had, it was a lot to come down from. Uh, what is your favorite part about running? You know, to me, it's just like that moment I was feeling it. I was in a really bad mood this winter, New Year's Eve, um, and we were going to get together with friends. And I said to my wife, like, I'm just going to go out for a short run on the beach. We were at the beach, you know, like living just like the most like absurdly like luxurious life. Like we're at the coast and everything's wonderful. But any number of things were conspiring in my life to make me kind of depressed. And I had this moment that I... I didn't even have like a particularly great run, but like I shuffled out towards the coast and then I lifted my knee and just like that moment of like leaving the ground. And I like took a breath in unison and I was like, there it is. Like, 
<sighs> um, and to me, like that's what running is. It's like that detachment from the world, just like very briefly and um, that freedom and that feeling. And then it's, you know, finding the cadence and the rhythm of doing that repeatedly over time. So it sounds very literal because I think it is, I think it's very physical and then very emotional and then very spiritual. Um, and so then, yeah, like all these goals we construct and the community we construct around it, I think um, is wonderful and morphs over time. But to me, it always comes back to like, can I find that rhythm and that moment of levity and lift off? Uh, I finish every podcast by asking the guest about what they're chasing. It could be a literal time goal. It could be qualifying for something. Uh, it could just be a feeling. Peter Bromka, what are you chasing? I'm trying to, I'm chasing and trying to define what this next chapter of running looks like for me. I think in hindsight, it's sort of obvious that I had this wonderful chapter from that we've been describing 2016 to 2020. Um, and what I have realized I've sort of alluded to this is that coming out of the pandemic when racing came back, I I sort of like went through the motions of trying to pretend I could still be that runner, but any number of things in my life and my body had changed uh, in the uh, in the years that had passed. And so, yeah, Boston 2023 was a real poignant moment for me when I looked around and I was like, I love what these guys are doing and I am not one of them exactly not in the same way I was. And so I'm going to have to like reinvent. I'm going to have to reimagine. And I, I don't imagine running will ever disappoint me in what is possible, but I think I have to give it the proper respect to not just be like rinse and repeat and pretend that the same uh, approach, the same methods uh, can yield like something that's equally is driving and inspiring and um so i'm excited i've started coaching athletes um i've started like working with more runners to try to um just like appreciate the the act in a new way and try to like create a new chapter that is different than my previous chapter i'm still running a lot um but i just know that i can't, i'm starting to face the truth that i can't just like pretend I am the 2019 version of myself. Um, and so I'm excited, but it's also daunting. Peter Bromka, thanks for joining me on Chasing Three Hours. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Peter Bromka for joining me on today's episode. Thanks to Ian Alio for production assistance, as well as music and sound design. Thanks to Riss for the cover art. Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me, including my weekly newsletter, as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Boston Marathon. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend. Chasing 3 